And when I come to these moments, I have to ask myself, what am I going to do? Am I going to do what society tells me I should do at this moment, stick in here? Or am I going to iterate and reinvent and go through that journey that can be a little bit tough? It can be a little bit messy. It can be a little bit disorienting. Will I just go through that journey and come up on the other side, reflecting another aspect of myself? Welcome to Evolve Leadership, the arena where high-achieving leaders are challenged to redefine their limits. My name is Angus Nelson. I grew up in the United States, and I now live in Lisbon, Portugal. I'm an executive coach, and I've spent my career advising and training leaders from startups to Fortune 500 companies. And here's what I've learned. An old, ineffective leadership framework will always keep you on a hamster wheel, consumed with work-life balance, burnout, and stress. Here on the show, each week we'll help you rethink the path to achievement. We'll help you discover new principles, new philosophies to the modern leader. Look, the world is relentlessly changing, demanding a new era of leaders. It's time to redefine your limits. So enter the arena, my friend. It's time to evolve. Welcome to the Evolve Leadership Show. And if you are experiencing rapid change in your business, rapid growth, rapid challenges, economy shifting under your feet, so to speak, today's interview is going to be powerful for you. We're talking to Ahmad Mansour. He's a leadership futurist, an executive coach, and an ed tech entrepreneur. He's worked with former Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger to bring more jobs to California. He was a dean of a college, and now he helps leaders navigate the complex global challenges and big shifts in the future of work, innovation, and the economy. So let's dive in to our interview with Ahmad right now. Hey, Ahmad. So great to have you join us on the show. How are you today? Angus, how you doing, my man? I'm I'm perfect, man. It's great to, to hang with you on this in this conversation today, man. Good to see you. All right. So today I want to jump into kind of, you know, some of the stuff that we had discussed, you know, talking together. You're, you know, jumping around from country to country, running your business, doing consulting, and going around this whole element of reinvention, innovation, looking at the future. I want to back up a little bit in your story. You grew up in San Francisco and it was during a really interesting time. And I think that kind of set the stage. You want to like kind of take us into, you know, your backstory, where you came from, how you got your education and we'll take it from there. Yeah. You know, I, I tell folks all the time, I, I was the luckiest person in the world. I grew up in San Francisco in the seventies, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I don't think anyone could choose a time and moment in history where you have an opportunity to kind of be in this space in this historic neighborhood called the Fillmore, you know, where where it's right in the middle of the city and you have poets and 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 intellectuals and artists and criminals, everyone mm -hmm. uh, yeah. coexisting. And, you know, one of the things I used to call it uh, that I call it was the Serengeti because everyone was there and it was just this very interesting place. So as a young kid, I had an opportunity to experience what that means, that grassroots power. That's the word I was looking for. And then I got shipped out, you know, not shipped. I was fortunate 
to go to a very prominent, uh, one of the oldest uh, prep schools uh, in San Francisco, where I had a chance to really hang out with uh, CEOs, the kids of CEOs and, and generals. And actually, the year that I was there, believe it or not, um, the lieutenant governor, the governor, the CEO of Intel, and the mayor of San Francisco, they were all graduates of my high school. And they were oh, wow. all in office at the same time. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. And you came up out of that and you were exposed kind of to this, you know, other world. And that prepared you when you got off to college, kind of share like both college and then your own iterations into grad school and career. Yeah, you know, first I would say from when I was in high school, one of the really cool things that came out of that was that when I got there and just being around, you know, these elite you know, wealthy families, um, you know, there w first there was a disconnect. And then I realized that I can learn something here. I did learn something. And that was that um, the people I were around, they had this sense of they can do anything. And mm -hmm. I did not necessarily see that attached to wealth. I didn't see it attached, even though I'm sure that's what influenced it because they had yeah. that life. But what I took from it was that just simply they saw the world as theirs. And I, and I didn't attach that to anything other than a mindset. And that was something that always sat in the back of my head growing up. And then later I would uh, find myself in graduate school uh, two times. Uh, first, you know, in business and leadership. And then later on when I would say having an opportunity to really delve into something that I was really interested in, which was learning. And so I went back and got my graduate degree in learning and, and development. And later that manifested in you being a dean of a college, you know, in and amongst many other things, you <laughs> served with Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger with yeah. some of the plans that he was doing through the 09 financial crisis. 2017, you're in executive leadership role. Uh, you know, that was your role there as the dean. Um, all of that was these elements of iteration and you and I were sitting over the tacos and we were talking about our careers and how crazy yeah. our paths had kind of unfolded. It's like when I started, I had no idea it was going to, you know, end up the way that it, you know, has thus far. Absolutely. Take us through kind of like that, like you said, odyssey. Well, you know, it took me, in college to realize that um, that a regular linear path wasn't going to be for me, even though I tried to because there was pressure, social mm -hmm. pressure, family pressure, cultural pressure to to do the right thing, which was to, mm -hmm. you know, take that traditional route and, you know, get the job and the wife and, you know, make the money. But, you know, I learned early on that um, that I was actually being driven by something differently. And that was around purpose. I kind of knew that internally early on that purpose was critical. And so as I kind of started along this professional path, um, you know, I went into the consulting world. I worked with some of the largest management consulting uh, firms in the world. And I found myself, you know, having to really look at two things. First, 
the unbelievable innovation that sat inside of these companies. They were sending me to some of the, the biggest thinkers and seeing the, the most innovative technologies around. But I was being deployed on projects that wasn't necessarily getting me um, amped up. It, it didn't bring life for me. I mean, you know, I, there was one moment where I was in uh, Boise, Idaho, and I won't name the company, um, but I was actually in charge of making their supply chain uh, process for a paper-making company better. Mm. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I sat there, I went back to my hotel, and I just kind of had this moment where I said, there has to be more. And I kind of broke down uh, as I sat in this big suite looking at the mountains. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. But I broke down and... and said to myself that I needed to find a way to take this incredible knowledge that I'm learning, but to really see this applied uh, in a different way. And the universe actually, you know, they, they provided that, you know, maybe a couple of years later, um, in this very inadvertent way, I was put on an assignment uh, with the LA school district to help them with their IT system. And I discovered education and saw how I could have an impact in developing humans, developing their capacity to create opportunities for themselves. And so um, I went down that road and ended up leaving the company and working for a national ed tech company, a Clinton initiative. And I was working in these communities across the United States and I loved it. And so that put me into this education space and it's taken me through a journey that subsequently has led, had led to me becoming um, a dean uh, at a college. And so to answer your question, uh, Angus, it, just like we were talking about, you know, you know at the taco place, yeah. um, you know, I, I look at life and I look at my path as life cycles. They're iterations. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so I come to these moments and when I come to these moments, I have to ask myself, what am I going to do? Am I going to kind of do what, you know, society tells me I should do at this moment, stick in here? Or am I going to iterate and reinvent and go through that journey that can be a little bit tough? It can be a little bit messy. It can be a little bit disorienting. Um, will I just go through that journey and come up on the other side? Uh, reflecting another aspect of myself. And that's how my, uh, my life cycles have, have been. And so I ended up becoming uh, a dean, and that was a great experience for me. It was an awesome experience. Yeah, and then you went on from there. You also did some, some politics, if I remember correctly, in the story. And there were some <laughs> whole other things with that uh, that came into play. But the biggest piece of these iterations and I'm talking with executives all the time. And, and the reason why many of them come to us is because they're at a crossroad of some sort where something's yeah. transforming around them, whether their company has raised a new round of funding, you know, they've increased their uh, headcounts, they maybe have left one company for another, or they've been elevated to a new role. And something has shifted that's bigger or different than what they've yeah, known. Absolutely. Yeah. And they've had to shift maybe their thinking or their believing or what have you in order to rise that occasion. And they come to us and we kind of help them across that, you know, that, that chasm. For you, 
what have been a some of the things you've had to face in each one of those kind of iterations and then b what is something you would recommend for somebody in order for them to do the same no great and and if you don't mind i could tell you like one moment that really reflects everything you just stated and why and, and this is not a commercial for you but i'm happy to 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 do so <laughs> and why we need folks like you mm. to really help take people through uh, that chasm, you know, to really support them going through the chasm. Because um, I did have like this perfect job where I worked for the chancellor. So I worked for a four college system in the Bay Area. And I was uh, the director and associate vice chancellor of economic development and industry yeah. partnerships. This sounds cool, you know. Yeah. And this was in 2009, where my job essentially was to update all of our college programs, our training programs, to be aligned with industry and to be aligned with the economic activity of the region. And so that put me, you know, in conversations and in networks that were with CEOs, with uh, with politicians, uh, all of the different leaders from all of the different sectors. And so. Me and my colleagues, we thought that we were the masters of the universe because we were trained to actually develop people in regional economies. And then the 2009 situation called uh, our financial crisis struck. And, and Governor Schwarzenegger, who was the governor at the time, uh, was receiving hundreds of millions of dollars to really do what uh, Obama at the time was calling creating shovel-ready jobs. And that was mm -hmm. this approach to trying to keep people working during, you know, during this crisis. So each region in California, uh, the governor asked for us to, to gather, all of us masters of the universe, <laughs> to gather mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and work it out. And he said, bring your industry partners and make it happen. And so uh, we gathered. We gathered one time and we were in a room and it was many of us in there. And all of a sudden, instead of talking about how to create jobs, I had bought my industry partners. We were talking about how to get money and how to staff up our mm. departments. Mm -hmm. And I looked around and said, whoa, this is our moment right now. And this is what we're talking about, staffing up. Instead of talking about how to create job opportunities and to do all the things that we talked a good game about. Yeah. So I actually ended up walking away from that meeting, confused, disoriented, and really wondering whether what I did actually meant anything. And so that was actually a leadership moment for me that I couldn't turn my head away from. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that didn't leave me. And so probably for several months, I'm, I'm talking, I'm thinking about leadership and what could we do to be better leaders, to be more transformative for an economy that was shifting right in front of us. Mm -hmm. And so um, I got fortunate. Um, I ended up becoming a fellow at, a, at, at the Aspen Institute, and they gave me an opportunity to actually think about this in a much larger scale. And then I went to them and then they sent me to, to Harvard to, to study leadership with some of the best thinkers around there. And I did. And, uh, and my career ended up changing at that point because no longer did I look at leadership from uh, the standpoint of being a, a gatekeeper. 
I began to really look at how leadership needed to be more distributed and how there was a, this, a, a, there's a separation between leadership and authority. And that mm. was the key thing um, that I learned. And I began to kind of build a whole architecture around that. So that changed the whole trajectory of my life and, um, and many things to follow afterwards. I'm sitting here taking notes here, leadership and authority. Uh, we may circle back on that because I think yeah. that's a critical piece. So I want to back up. So you came out of, you know, college, let me back up even more that high school feeling limitless. Yeah. The world is your oyster. You could create whatever. And each step of the way you've gone into these higher areas of influence, these higher levels of status, I suppose, you know, with Absolutely. the people that you're in. Uh, somehow you're you're hanging out with all the the big wigs of San Francisco with Schwarzenegger's money or the, the government's money or whatever, <laughs> you know, trying to figure things out. And then you get set off to Aspen Institute and you're hanging out with these folk. And then you're off to Harvard. Like each one of these steps is like incrementally more influence, more status, blah blah blah. So you are stepping into these bigger shoes. What's that step for you internally? Is it, I got this? Is it cockiness? Is it an oh shit moment? Like what's going through your head as you keep stepping into these bigger arenas? I would probably say a little bit of all of those. I think um, I never really been a climber. Um, mm. I'm not good at being a climber. So I couldn't have the mentality of that. Okay, this is another step towards something because that's not how I plotted my path. My whole deal from the time I was in high school was that I wanted to be on a path that wherever my curiosity led me, that there was not going to be anything that got in the way. That, that's how I mm -hmm. kind of thought of my entitlement. Yeah. And so when I began to think about leadership and then see this world open up to me, that felt pretty much the way things were supposed to go. Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily to be at Aspen or to be at Harvard, but the fact that these domains that would allow for me to learn, uh, to develop better insight, and to continue to be on a trajectory of, of change and transformation, that those things were available to me. And mm -hmm. so as I kind of meandered through these spaces, uh, th there were many different feelings. First of all, I was like, you know, holy shh. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, the first time, you know, you go into these spaces <laughs> and then you kind of learn that A, um, people are telling you that um, whatever you want to think about, they're going to support you. Whatever you want to do, you're supported. And that's just an unbelievable feeling. It's just something that doesn't come naturally because we always feel like there's, you know, our mindsets could be that there's always some type of limitation. You know, we live in a world that's based on scarcity, you know, so that can very easily kind of get in, in your mindset. Um, but being in a space where, you know, you realize that kind of as you move up the, 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 the food chain, so to say, that there are just an assumption that you're supposed to be there. If you're there, you're there for a reason. Mm. And that was a very difficult thing for me to, to kind of conceive based on my own kind of humble beginnings. Mm. Um, but it's something that didn't feel so uncomfortable that I let it stay in my way because sometimes that can happen. You know, you could feel like you're, you're not deserving or you're an imposter. 
And those things never really crept in for me. Um, now, I'm not saying that imposter syndrome hasn't crept in for me in my, in my career, but when I'm on that trajectory, when I'm on that journey, it just doesn't show up. Like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of playing at a whole different level internally. Yeah. So now you're playing at a level where uh, we've come out of a pandemic. We uh, are looking at uh, wars in all sorts of crazy places, uh, economies in flux. You're having to iterate how you're helping businesses. What does it look like you walking into some of these companies now in light of everything that's going on with the purpose that you now hold you know, for helping and serving and transforming, what are the things that you're finding yourself having frequently in conversations right here, right now? Well, I think um, what's most interesting, and, and I could really speak to one instance where during the p- pandemic, um, I was asked by the university, the executives at the University of Texas to, to kind of help them through this conversation around, you know, what's next. And, um, and that was an incredible opportunity. And it kind of speaks to how my conversations had gone with many uh, different executives uh, um, subsequent to that. And that is that um, leaders have a huge challenge with complexity, you know, and our brains cognitively is just not set up uh, to deal with that naturally. Actually, complexity puts you in this space where uh, you have to move out of this fight and flight uh, attitude, which is really making you move towards, you know, very quick quo pro solutions. And how can you hold space to really look at the dynamics that's happening? And so I call that sense making. You know, so getting leaders to engage in more sense making where they're able to kind of get on the balcony and look at all of these different moving parts and make meaning and make sense out of it before they start, you know, pointing, you know, the enterprise or or their people uh, into a particular direction. And so part of that is, is it's when I started dealing with leaders or working with leaders during this pandemic. Of course, Angus, the first thing you got to do is just let the, listen and let leaders say what's going on with them. And I know that this is something that in your content and your work, um, you're, you're always developing a platform for, you know, mm. leaders wanted to emote. They wanted to really convey how uncomfortable it felt to be in this complex space and to make decisions and make moves in it that could be costly. And so the first piece for me was just to allow a place and a space for leaders to just convey what they were feeling. And then to have those type of conversations where you can help do some sense making with that. Um, And then the other aspect of it was helping them do sense making meaning actually going out and kind of gathering what's happening in the world politically, you know, what's happening in the world from an innovation standpoint, from the technology, what's going on socially. And so, you know, bringing all of that information to them so that they could 
really understand that um, this is nothing to be afraid of. This is just what what is. Hold on. Say that again. It's nothing to be afraid of. It's just what is. It's just what is. Can, can you unpack that a little bit? That's, a, that's yeah. a great phrase that just has a lot of meat in it. Well, you know, and, and I won't try to pull too far in many different directions, but it comes, I, I think about that from when I was growing up with my family, right? One of the things that they used to often, they would often say in the world that they felt that I, I needed to deal with was that um, the things that come in front of you, it's, it's, it's just information, it's just knowledge. Don't Don't let it pull you into this emotional uh, space, kind of that, that, that flight or flight area of fear where you make crazy decisions. It's just information. It's data. It's people. It's mm. technology. It's a lot of things. But, you know, just look at it, you know, and, and it's okay. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. And so that that's something that I've I bought forward with a lot of leaders is that, you know, um, the, this, these are just things that are happening, you know, and mm-hmm. you can kind of look at yourself as someone who's in the eye of the storm, you know, and and get to kind of play with this. It, it's it's a term that um, I'm trying to think who said this. Um, maybe it was Kevin Kelly. Maybe Kelly, Kevin Kelly. It was this idea of embracing the swarm. Mm. And so that was, was really what I was trying to uh, convey. Embrace the swarm. So that was, uh, that was the kind of the key communique. Um, and I think once you begin to get leaders or any individual to embrace the swarm, the other thing, which is always a challenge to our brains, and that is to get people to start thinking about the future, that, mm. you know, that there are more than one futures that you can create, you know, that there are possible futures. But, you know, once again, we're told and our brains tell us um, that we're kind of connected to one future. And that's what some people call your official future. You know, not knowing that there are many different ways and possibilities to make out there. And so um, really getting leaders to feel comfortable with envisioning the future. And that's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy because the future is like strangers. And and this, the neuroscience was, uh, talks about how, you know, the future, thinking about the future is it's like stranger danger. It it mm. it feels so disconnected from us. Um, so there's a lot of things that you have to do to make that connection happen. We can talk about what that is, but but really this whole idea of envisioning a future, possible futures, uh, really giving not only the enterprise but leaders a little bit more agency around what's you know around how they can kind of handle these complex times. Let me just pause for a second to say this. There is one trait that you will find in every successful leader, no matter their industry, no matter their role. And that trait is action. And we want to inspire ambitious leaders like you 
to bet on yourself and take action on those audacious goals that you see in your heart. That's why we created our 90-Day Accelerator. It's a results-driven, battle-tested framework designed specifically for high-performing leaders like you to get unstuck and propel you towards your goals. And in just 90 days, you won't even recognize the person you used to be. To be a part of this elite community, go to evolveleadership.org. Now, back to the show. I, I like what you said, the stranger danger, you know, when it comes to looking into the future, you know, we as a species love the familiar. We love yeah. what we've always known. I was speaking at, uh, at a big insurance company here yeah. to about 50 executives and uh, I was talking about, you know, what could be in the, the average age was like 51. The, um, the tenure was like 20 years, like these individuals have been doing the same thing for a very long time and they're looking at what's going on and they're shrugging their shoulders. Exactly. You know, and they've got all these young people, you know, they're trying to, you know, keep in, in, in house and, and keep them, you know, like invigorated and, and they don't know quite how to keep them activated and interested and, and curious. Um, and because it's threatening them. Oh, absolutely. And their egos and their, like, I don't know all the, there's layers and layers of stuff, right? It's a perceived threat. <laughs> all perceived. And so when you said, you know, this element of embracing the swarm of, you know, looking at these things that are there and making sense of it, that sense making, I believe is so important for all of us as leaders to stand back, like you said, to see what is so that we're not impulsively reacting. Absolutely. Because typically that involves my trauma, my past, my history, my projection, like a whole litany of ridiculousness <laughs> that has very little to do with what's actually Nothing. standing before you, right? Turns into a frenzy, man. <laughs> and it froths up and then everybody's yep. like, you know, chicken with their heads cut off versus yep. the most calm, tranquil person in the room that can stand there and take in all the information and just be. Yeah. That's power. Yeah. And and what I would add to that, Angus, is that, um, once again, this is a commercial, but I'm happy to do this commercial. And that's why it's important for your work. Because there are certain practices that it takes to move into that space. Like, it's easy to say, you know, to deal with complexity. But dealing with it just means just not recognizing it. It takes certain practices that we have to do in the 21st century that that's not going to go away. It's, it's really how, not only just for leaders, but it's really how you need to be human. Like, there's no, like, all of us need to develop a practice that will enhance our capacity for self-awareness. Mm. Like, you know, you can no longer glance over that. A leader needs that, right? So... How do you get there? Like you yeah. got to have some type of mindfulness practice. You got to. Yeah. Um, I, I don't. You know. I'm, I'm not saying you need to go and sit on a rock and and meditate. No, I do that. <laughs> but I'm not saying that you need to go yeah. sit somewhere and meditate and 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 get downloaded by the universe. But you need to find something that's going to allow for your mind, that 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 plastic mind 
to settle in a space where it can begin to uh, make meaning of things without the synapses going crazy and mm. keeping you in this place of anxiety. Like we all mm. have to develop that, especially as leaders. And that, if you want to understand complexity, you got to have some type of mindfulness practice for self-awareness. For sure. And I would add to that, you know, in mindfulness and with some of our clients that can look like you just said, sitting on a rock, you know, in meditation, I've said before, I am by no means a meditation <laughs> guru, but I am a meditator in my infancy of the Absolutely. practice, you know, yeah. um, I'm learned about and, and I'm learning about, um, this tapping oh, technique wow. where you tap yeah, yeah, on yeah. different you know parts of your yeah, body yeah. And, and it's yeah. kind of a visualized or, or, or guided, you know, visualization. Um, I've leaned into breath work. Yeah. Holy heck, where did breath, like I had no idea, you just like following different breathing patterns and how it resets things. It's amazing. But then this last piece is when you take that kind of initiative to get centered, to be aligned, to be present, only then can you have clarity. Only then yeah. can you take in all of the information and then approach it from a place of objectivity. So I, that's to me, like Absolutely. I just bump set and I, I want you to spike. So now we're looking at, I want you to put your futurist hat on. Yep. Like as we're looking into things that are unfolding, um, what are some of the patterns or trends that leaders need to be aware of looking at the future of work or the future of yeah. business, the future of the economy? Like you can take it from wherever you want. Yeah, well, I think leaders have to be a little bit more expansive in how they look at the landscape. Um, we've pretty much kind of bifurcated um, things into different sectors. You know, so if you're in the business sector, it's so easy to hear a business a person in the business sector say, oh, yeah, I don't know a lot about, you know, that that social stuff or that community mm -hmm. stuff, you know, because they've they've learned to really look at business um, from a place of financialization, you yeah. know, and, and that's totally fine, but in a complex world, the way it's unfolding, um, you, there's many things that you have to look at. You have to look at data, big data, um, and do some pattern recognition in that space and kind of figure out things. Um, but you also have to look at the demographics of a society and a world to really mm -hmm. see what's coming and see what's what's changing and shifting. So kind of the social forces leaders could no longer avoid. And, and the reality is, is that there are certain countries that companies go to now where their policies may say that, you know, if you're going to do business here, you know, you got to help also help us solve some of these problems. You know, like you just can't come in here and slap your logo up and think, you know, that, you know, that stream of income is going to come and, and perhaps leave our lakes, you know, um, polluted or whatever. Like yeah. you have to be part of this larger stakeholder game. So that's why you hear terms like stakeholder capitalism, which is still being defined. But I think it's a good start because what it's saying is, is that there are many different people, but more than anything, there are many different perspectives 
mm-hmm. that you have to consider. And so that's one that I think that's key is that leaders have to know how to manage multiple perspectives. Like, how do you do that? And that those perspectives can feel uncomfortable. But there is a practice to how you go by dealing and managing multiple multiple perspectives. And I think the leaders have to see that as a practice and and as a skill. Another aspect, obviously, is the technology, you know, and I think that's kind of the easy one for a lot of folks because the innovations are in front of us. But we need to also understand what's happening with these innovations. It's. It's shifting the way economies function. Like for so long, we thought, and as leaders, we thought of things in a very rational way. We actually thought that the economy was was rational. And so we thought that it would behave the way we wanted it to and that we've kind of mastered that. And all of that was kind of based on scarcity economics, you know, and pricing, et cetera. But what leaders have to understand now is that um, the world and with the with these technologies, we're in now in a disruptive world, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So this whole idea of thinking rationally, um, it's not going to serve you as well. Actually, it's best to think that the world is irrational. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because you can deal with irrationality. That, that's that's why we could talk about mindfulness practices and a bunch of other things. But when the book that was written, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, by uh, Kellerman, who won the the, the uh, Nobel Peace Prize, one of the big messages that he was saying in there was that uh, we're not rational beings, you know. And it seems like the only people that has known that for the last hundred years is being the people in marketing and public relations, because (laughs) because they always have played on our irrational behavior, Mm -hmm. you know. But the more that we know that we're not simply rational beings, that there's an irrationality to us, then we can start as leaders working from that place as well. And so um, I think that's a critical one for leaders is to really kind of understand that these technologies makes it where the world is disrupted. It's very nonlinear, that -hmm. there's going to be shocks in the system. And when those shocks happen in the system, you could pivot. You can be going in a direction that you never thought about. And that's what happened with the pandemic. And I think that's the muscle that we need to learn. It has showed up in many different ways, but I think the pandemic made it so collective that no one could escape this idea that the world can make shifts through its shocks and that it has an impact on how you think about things like the future of work. It's it's almost like we haven't had enough disruption in our world to, and which is ironic because we've had tons of it, but we haven't had such a big global impact to like remind us like oh we we don't know what we're doing yeah (laughs) you know as much as we think we are we don't know what we're doing and it kind of like brings us into this different you know reality of like oh well what are we trying to do and what are we trying to create and i think on a personal level like that's that's the opportunity and you know what the work that we do is like what do you want to create 
And if you put that into the business context, you know, these founders and startup and everything else, it's like you said, if this is disruption, this is the new normal. This isn't going anywhere. Yeah. It's not going to go back to what it was. It doesn't have the same rhythms and routines nope. of comfort and knowing what tomorrow brings. Like we are in the midst of a season. Hopefully it won't last long, but it's change. And can you get to the place where you get comfortable in the unknown? And I love what you said, perspectives, walking in and seeing that there's different perspectives, that two perspectives, three perspectives, four perspectives could all exist simultaneously. Like if you want to talk about the metaverse, like humans yep. are the metaverse and they can all look at the same thing and have a different opinion and that paradox and getting comfortable and present in that paradox, again, that's where the true leadership and the true power lies because you have to shed ego, shed opinion, shed, you know, your bias and, and the, the, the things perhaps even that you would hope it to be so that you can see it for what it truly is. Whew, that's powerful, Angus. Um, thing about perspectives is that, <clears throat> you know, there's this model that, that we use, that I use, that have all of these different people around the table, right? But right in the middle is mutual purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And so like you could have, you can all agree on what mutual purpose is, but you may have different perspectives on what it means and how to get there. But if you start with mutual purpose, now it's about what are the practices for engagement with everyone who's at the table. But when you mm -hmm. have mutual purpose, then like, you can go somewhere and I don't, I don't think people understand that so often we're really shooting for the same thing. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's like, it's like parenting or some of the most basic things. I'm not a, I'm not a parent, but I do know this. Um, <laughs> you can be a parent and you can have all these different parenting styles, but at the end of the day, we all wanted to see good kids raised, you know? And so if you take many different parents from many different types of spectrums, cultural spectrums, and you put them in this room with all these different perspectives, and if the mutual purpose is to create a safe space for kids to grow up and be the best human beings they could be, everyone around the table can agree with that. That's a mutual purpose. Now, the work now starts. How do you get there? You know, and so having these type of engagement practices as a leader is critical. And that's and that's some of the work that um, that I do is like, how do you get these different stakeholders to move in the same direction, knowing that they come from different places along along among along the spectrum? Yeah. Wow. I think that kind of brings us in for a landing. Come on. Uh, I, I think we could nerd out on a couple of these different yeah, things if we hung absolutely. out longer. But if people want to get in touch with you, they want to follow along, where can they go? And you've got a book you're working on, The Pathfinder, I think it was called. Yes. Well, I, I, don't, I don't give away the <laughs> name yet because I love the name and I don't want to see it show up. I did okay. get the domain for it. But what I can tell you that um, there's been a lot of, pressure on me to 
do a leadership book and, and that's coming. However, um, what I felt was more important was to do a book around pathfinding mm -hmm. because I think that's the time that we're in right now. And if you don't mind me kind of just speaking a sure. little bit to this, Angus, and that is, um, as all of us in the 21st century has, have to realize that um, not only are we we're dealing with obsolete systems that we've counted on, but once again, when you look at technology and what technology is allowing for us to do, it's allowing us to kind of move past the gatekeepers and to really define our sense of being and purpose in the world where you can really develop and cultivate your own talents and be on your own path. And that's a whole different type of mindset. It takes a whole different way that you see your, your learning and your practice. And it's, so, it's, it's also another way that you see your, yourself in terms of your story and that your story can come from your journey. And how do you actually create your own, create your own mythology? Um, and so this book around pathfinding is really speaking to that. It's taking some of the things that we talked in the conversation. It's not about me, but it's taking my nonlinear path. And I, mm -hmm. and, and I say that my nonlinear path was an analog version for what the future path could be in the 21st century. And so I think for me, because I have my own experience, but I also as a, as a college dean and educator, um, I know what it means to develop people's skills and their capacity. And then as you know, someone who is now on my own path from leaving all of my intellect, my in institutional and enterprise leadership behind to become you know, an entrepreneur and my own thought leader around things that I'm on my own path. That's uh, in progress. It's it's this. This is the new iteration of me. Yeah. And so this book gets me gives me a chance to actually put this all into uh, um, something that I hope can inform not only young people, but also people who are um, in work thinking about how they could reconnect with themselves um, and get on their own path to the older generation, because like the baby boomers ain't going away. <laughs> like they're, yeah. they're telling you right now, like, no, we're, we're going to be, there's another version of us that we're going to take. Yeah. And so hopefully, uh, this book will, um, will provide some insight in that. Respect. I think you need to finish that damn book and we'll have you back and we'll have, we'll unpack that. By the way, <clears throat> uh, Todd Herman, a uh, guy I follow, uh, another coach in, our, in my space, just uh, posted a story about uh, being at some restaurant. And there was a 91-year-old man at this, maybe a hotel, I think it was. And he's like, well, what are you working on? He's like, oh, I'm doing my 10-year plan. Yeah. <laughs> he was at 91 creating his 10-year plan. It. I'm like, come on, come on. Yeah, absolutely, and it's man. it's never, never, never the end of the story. We get to create it. So, Ahmad, if someone wants to get a hold of you, where do they go? Thank you. I guess um, first, uh, my personal website is ahmadmansoor.com. Um, and if you want to connect with me personally, you can you can find me at ahmad 
at futurepointglobal.com. Nice. Well, Ahmad, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom, sharing your story and your insights. Really appreciate it. Can't wait to have a couple of drinks with you here in Lisbon Man, next time you're on. Our conversations are always cool. Um, thank you. And I look forward to seeing you in Portugal because you said there were some other places oh, yeah. that you had to show me. And it, believe me, I still have that uh, as, a, as a place unchecked. Come on. <laughs> I look forward to it, man. Let's do it. Thanks, man. All right, man. Thank you. As we wrap up another episode of Evolve Leadership, thank you so much for taking time to invest in you. If there's to be any sustainable growth in your company or even in your relationships, you must grow first. And it's what I love to do for leaders, to help them grow, to challenge their thinking, sharpen self-awareness, to instill an unshakable confidence, and ultimately upgrade their sense of self. And we do this through our proprietary method called Agile EQ+, where we're leveraging agile leadership and emotional intelligence. We provide our signature training for individuals and for businesses, we've designed a unique curriculum for company-wide learning and development. If you'd like to learn more about our training or to schedule a call, you can simply go to evolveleadership.org. And until next time, stay driven, keep climbing, and never stop evolving. <laughs>